Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Weekends were made for sports. How would you like to play for the New England Patriots? I'd love to. A look at the weekend in sports with the inside story on the Blazers, the Ducks, and the Beavers. Everyone, meet freelance alien bounty hunter, Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp? The football guy? Yeah, I hunt aliens now. Used to catch TDs, now I catch ETs. You ever caught an alien, Shannon? Not yet, Mr. Question, but I'll let you know when I do. This is Sports Sunday with Mike Lynch. Oh, isn't this wonderful? Look at this room. What a beautiful room. Have you seen this room? Yes, we're in it. And Rashad Taylor. Okay, dude, I can see you don't want to be cheered up here. Come on, Donnie, let's go get us a lane. On ESPN Sports Radio 1080, The Fan. Hour 2 of 2 here on Sports Sunday with you, Mike and Rashad, Jesse, until 11 o'clock. Talk some Oregon Ducks basketball as well as some Odell Beckham Jr. trade in the first hour. You can catch it on the Les Shop Tires podcast if you miss it, and I'll listen back at your convenience. This hour, we've got Hater to Love it coming up at 10.30. We also will be getting into the C.J. McCollum injury from yesterday next segment, but we got to wrap up the other NFL stuff that happened this week. The league year officially opened up this week, and all of those signings that have been reported became official. I want to start with Nick Foles. Because that one happened, I believe, right on Monday, even before the league year opened up. And we saw we saw the numbers that Nick Foles got from Jacksonville. And let me tell you, <laughs> that is an absolutely insane contract, in my opinion. He gets four years, $88 million, $50 million guaranteed. Mm. Now, I've been pretty outspoken on this show. I mean, you were gone for two weeks, so I can't remember if you were here for this or not. But I don't think Nick Foles is that good. I think Nick Foles is getting a lot of love for what he did with Philly in the playoffs the last couple of years. He should. Super Bowl MVP, wins the Super Bowl as a backup quarterback. That's awesome. And he did have a really good season with them earlier in his career as well. But when he left Philadelphia to go to the two other stops that he had in his career, he was not good. He was not good. He left the Philadelphia Eagles system and it didn't work out. Now, is he better than Blake Bortles? Yes, absolutely. I think he will be better than Blake Bortles and will help the Jaguars in some sense. And I'm not really mad that they signed Nick Foles. He was one of the best quarterbacks available in free agency. It's the money. It seemed like the Jaguars were bidding against themselves. Who else was it? Who else was interested in Nick Foles? We saw nothing. No reports of any other teams even sniffing around more than anything else. You saw the other teams who needed quarterbacks go different routes, and then the Jags give them $50 million guaranteed over four years? Are you kidding me? I'm, I guarantee they could have gotten Nick Foles for way less money than that. Way less money. I, they probably could have gotten him for four years, 60 mil with 20 mil guaranteed, something like that. They did not need to go this high. So, yeah, he's going to be better than Blake Bortles, but 
are they going to regret the amount of money they're paying him at some point? Yeah, but better than Blake Bortles is a good thing because, you know, Blake Bortles was able to get them to an AFC championship game and really all, damn near win the game. And we can we can all say that mm-hmm. Nick Foles is a much better quarterback. I do than, wish they won than, that game. I'm sure you do. They didn't, though. But uh, Nick Foles is, is a much better quarterback, so I think that's going to – it's at least going to help. You know, right now, your receiver situation is, I don't know, Jesse, you can tell me more about it because I can't tell you anything about the Jacksonville receiving core well, right it's now. It's not great right it's now. It's not awesome. I know that. Mon- Moncrief left, so they're they're left with D.D. Westbrook and a bunch of young guys. They're going to have, um, they're gonna have um, uh, Marquise Lee coming back. He, he was lost early in the season to, I believe, a, a, like, I think the first game of the season to a, a ACL tear. Uh, Keelan Cole um, had a great rookie season, took a big step back last season, but it's hard to tell if that's Keelan Cole or the inaccuracy of Blake Bortles. They're still working on a tight end situation. As for the running backs, they, um, you know, not really any prolific um, pass catchers there, but as far as the wide receiving core, it's respectable. I just don't know if you have a true number one wide receiver. There. So he's going to struggle. So it's, it's fair to say he's going to struggle. Luckily he has, the benefit of a Leonard Fournette if he's all the way healthy, you know, coming into the season. Leonard Fournette is a a big, bruising running back but can also be super elusive once he gets into his own space. So Fournette could be somebody that can take a lot of pressure off him. But I still think he's going to get beat up a little bit there. But, again, you put a, give him another receiver, maybe a, a solid tight end, man, who knows what he's able to do. I actually don't feel the same way as you about Nick Foles. I think Nick Foles can play. I think when he's put in positions to be – successful he's successful we talk all the time on the show about jeff fisher and his seven and nine bs that he talks about all the time and you know it just so happened that he happened to be one of the quarterbacks that kind of had to go through you know the jeff fisher era and then he went to kansas city and was a backup to alex smith you know and a team that looked like they were kind of training the right direction you know the one thing i like about Foles is he's reliable you know he's not a backup to where it's like it's, it's a flip of the coin like i feel like if you put him on the field you've got a shot at winning the game and how many backups could you honestly say that about in the, in the NFL? Like, I think he's proven. I think he's proven that I, at, on his own team, and he does have a year to where he was very good on his own team, being the being the trigger man there. I think I just think it's going to be the situation that he's put in, the coaching, the playbook, all those things are going to matter. And right now, he just doesn't have a, a lot of the horses to work with. I, well, one thing that I think uh, why this works, right? You, we obviously have the defensive pieces there in Jacksonville. You obviously, I, I think you have a a solid offensive line. I don't think it's elite, but I think it's definitely not an issue. You have a running back. If he can stay healthy, that can be a workhorse and, and can be the engine of this team. And you have a guy Nick Foles who I mean, he's, he's been a proven winner granted in Philadelphia, but you know, I, I make the case he's done it for a, a couple different regimes. So I think there is something there. Um, and, and I'll argue he didn't have a true number one, in Philadelphia, you might um, point to Alshon Jeffrey, but I, I don't think Alshon, I, he's a big physical presence, but I don't think he's like a legit number one wide receiver. And when you look at the fact that they have a the seventh overall pick and you look at the weaknesses of their, this team, which in reality, based on what their season was last year, you would think there's a lot of weaknesses. And in reality, when you look at the roster, there's not. And you go, well, what about a guy like DK Metcalf? at seven, right? I mean, all of a sudden, that wide receiving core looks really, really good. Do not trust DJ Metcalf. I, he is a guy who – is it DJ? DK. DK. Okay. He is a guy who did nothing in college. 
and he is an absolute freak who won the combine, that does not do well in the NFL more often than not. How many times have you seen a team reach for the guy who wins the combine? But he, I don't think he It's even, typically speed, though, that you win it. He won everything. Know, yeah. But there's, there's also got to be a reason why he didn't catch more than 1,000 yards total in his career at Mississippi State. Right? Or oh. God, I'm going to forget. I sound awful right now. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, either Ole Miss. Ole Miss. He was not good there. He did not have a great career there. So he's winning the combine, but do not trust that. I'm just throwing that out there. It, you're right. He, I mean, he had, I, I mean, it, it is insane um, what he did there, which was, was not much. I he mean, his little, best little season impact. was 2017, 39 receptions, just shy of 650 yards, seven touchdowns. Um, for a guy that physically gifted there, there's something to miss there to me. I, I think it, it's just so hard though, because you, you know, Rashad stated earlier in the show, the wide receiver position is one that's so hard to project because it is, it is so predicated on one position to get you the ball and get you the ball accurately through the air. Uh, Ole Miss, what, it's what's their what quarterback situation? Yeah. What's right? his name? <laughs> Who's getting him that ball? Is it is he any good? Right? That that is a big, big key as to how much success a wide receiver has in college. And, and also, you know, we have a lot of teams, especially in SEC football. You know, they they run a lot of the time. You know, there's not a lot of, you know, up until Tua came along, there wasn't a lot of balls to the air for Alabama. So and playing legit defenses and got you know in the Georgias and the Alabamas and the Auburns of the world, they have amazing defensive talent. And if you don't have a great quarterback, I don't care how good your wide receiver is, you're going against the best defensive talent in the nation and you have a crappy quarterback, your your numbers aren't going to be very good in college. Not to say that that's the case. I'm just making an argument of what could be the case. All right, we got a break. Coming up next, let's uh, quickly wrap up some of the other stuff. Le'Veon Bell to the Jets and some other signings that happened and then switch gears to C.J. McCollum's injury. This is Sports Sunday on The Fan. Weekend sports with a difference. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Ten sixteen here on your Sunday morning. Mike Rashad, Jesse with you till 11 o'clock. Wrapping up some NFL chatter here. I want to get to Le'Veon Bell to the Jets. That's another huge signing that happened this week. Le'Veon Bell gets uh, four years, 52 mil, 35 mil guaranteed from the Jets. He also, he was kind of reportedly tied to a bunch of different teams. The I guess the Ravens got in late for him. The Bears were interested in him. He tweeted out that he had decisions to make, and it was tough. I think the Dolphins might have been interested in him as well at some point. But he picks the Jets, which is what a lot of people thought he would do going into this offseason, a team that desperately needs a number one running back and a guy who can catch passes to help Sam Darnold out when he gets into some pressure situations. I, mean, I think it's a good fit. It's it, I am not a guy who is of the same opinion as a lot of the GMs in this league, which is going to sound stupid because they have that job and I don't, but – I think if you get a really top-of-the-line running back you and you pay him, it's not going to hurt you that much because you're getting a really good running back. And I think Le'Veon Bell is one of those guys, although he sat out a year, is a special player who, if you get him, helps you instantly, especially as a team as the Jets, who 
had a bunch of different guys really not pan out for them at the running back position the last few years. Crowell, McGuire, um, Bilal Powell, all guys who just didn't pan out for them the last few years. Now you've got, as long as he's healthy, a surefire guy, a guy who will consistently run the ball for you and will also be able to catch passes. So I, I think it's a great deal. And also someone who hasn't had any contact in a full year. So uh, needless to say, his body is going to be uh, a little more rested than a lot of other guys. So um, I love it. I thought it was a, I thought it was a really a home run hit for the Jets. This is a team that they've been looking uh, for a solid running back. And now they didn't just get a solid one. They got one of the great ones in the NFL right now. So I think the Jets did a great job to pair him with Sam Darnold. Um, I think they lost Jermaine Curse, but, you know, they, I think they signed Jamison Crowder as well. So not a, a not a, a great receiver, but um, he's been okay for the past few years in Washington. So uh, they're tr- you can see, you can tell they're trying to build something in, uh, in for the Jets. I was going to say in New York, but yeah. You can tell they're trying to do something right there. And so far, so good. If it starts with a player like Le'Veon Bell and you can get him to – because right now he just helped out Sam Darnold a whole lot. You know, you might have just gotten a, a running back who can really be a, kind of a security blanket for Sam Darnold. You can get it out of there quick to him, and he can make things happen on his own. So uh, great move for the Jets. Uh, probably next to, the, next to Beckham and next to um, – Antonio Brown, this is the I think this is the biggest offseason signing or move that, that's happened so far. The Ravens get Earl Thomas, former safety for the Seahawks, coming off an injury. Four years, 55 mil, 32 mil guaranteed, about the same as Le'Veon Bell, interestingly enough, numbers-wise at least. And by the way, I think Bell got less money than we all thought, which is a win for the Jets. He thought he was going to get more. He didn't, so the Jets got him for a little bit cheaper. Just a final thought on that. Earl Thomas of the Ravens is a good move as well. Uh, I, I don't think Earl Thomas has lost that much in his step due to the injuries. I think he's still going to be a really top top of the line safety, and he's going to a team which loves defense. It loves hard hitting safeties. It loves playing that, that hard no style that Earl Thomas does so well. He's going to a place that respects it, and then he could fit in, and it's a great great fit for them. They lost Eric Weddle. Well, they let they cut Eric Weddle. And that'll be a good replacement for him, if not better than Eric Weddle. So I think it's a win. No, that was uh, you, and you mentioned it. That was a that was a big void to fill with Weddle. And really, you're looking at Earl Thomas, and he may be the best safety that they've had since Ed Reed. You know, I'm just kind of putting that out there. Like if he hasn't lost anything in his step, man, we know uh, what Earl Thomas is capable of. Especially if you live here in the Northwest, because Seahawks games are on all the time, so you know exactly how crucial he can be to a to a defense. You know, for a long time. We kind of lauded Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor as the leaders of the Legion of Boom, but then a lot of those players would tell you, no, it was Earl Thomas. Like, he was the guy that kind of kept everybody in that locker room together. So, yeah, the Ravens got a, a huge, huge star in Earl Thomas at that safety spot. I think that's going to be really good for them. Um, anything else that really stuck out to you from from the signings this week? There was a couple of ones that I thought were Mark maybe- Ingram, you know, you know, went to the went to the Ravens. I thought that was – you know, a pretty big, not a, a big deal, but it, it, it's definitely going to help. You know, the Ravens, their running situation is. Well, it's Lamar Jackson and everybody yeah. else right and now. So, you know, it's one of those things. I think that's definitely going to help Lamar, a big bruising running back like that. So, you know, I thought that was a pretty okay move and taking him away from the Saints. So, you know, what does that do to the Saints running game now? The, uh, the other one that I wanted to talk about before we move on to the Blazers was Ryan Tannehill, now the backup quarterback for Marcus Mariota in Tennessee, which 
I think is great for Tennessee because they have to make a decision on Mariota soon within this year if they're going to give him that big that big contract extension to re-sign him long-term. And because he gets hurt every year and they've had to go to guys who are bad backup quarterbacks, having a guy like Tannehill as your backup is a pretty solid bet in case he gets hurt or doesn't fully recover from the nerve damage. I think that's pretty good. I think it's a great move just because if nothing else, it just lit a fire in Mariota's ass. You know, you got to get out there and go perform at this point. You know, there can be no more, you know, 17 touchdown, 11 interception, 12 interception years. Like now you have to go out there and really perform. Like Tannehill's not a great quarterback, but he's good enough to where if he's breathing down your neck, that could be a problem. So if you're Mariota, You've got to kind of buck up, you know, tighten your chin strap and go out there and really, really show that you, yeah, you deserve to be treated like the number two overall pick. Um, yeah, so there you go. That's all the NFL stuff that we wanted to get to there. Let's switch gears before we got to go to break because we're going to go to uh, hate it or love it next segment. CJ McCollum hurt yesterday in the Blazers' close loss of the Spurs, and I don't think it's hard to say that they wouldn't have lost the game without him. The fourth quarter, granted it was a back-to-back, the Spurs creamed the Blazers in the fourth quarter. And the Blazers were up most of the game until CJ got hurt and it slowly turned around in that one. They would probably win that game, go 3-0 and on a really important road trip, but they do not. And now Blazer fans are holding their breaths, waiting for the MRI to come back. The x-ray came back negative. No uh, no broken bones in, in his leg. And it kind of looked pretty, pretty much like nothing. Yeah, routine. it looked like a routine play that hurt his knee. He said he didn't hear a pop, but the MRI will tell you the, the true story. If, if he tore something or partially tore something that's really bad news for this portland team we, we can say all we want and we have that cj is not the best player he's a amazing scorer but doesn't give you much else but you still need him to make a run to the playoffs and in the playoffs my guess is a minimum sprain he's out probably at least two weeks um and yeah no i he, he might not be the Damian Lillard leader of this team, but he is obviously a very important cog. It's always when somebody gets hurt to where people are finally like, I, I guess I guess he's pretty important. I guess you can't do this without him. Like Lynch and I were kind of talking, you know, before the show, and this isn't a situation like Malcolm Brogdon is out for the Bucks for six to eight weeks. But the Bucks are so deep that I think they'll be fine without Brogdon for six to eight weeks. Are they still the same team? No. But they're going to be fine, and they're going to have no problem at least making it through the first round without Malcolm Brogdon. This isn't Malcolm Brogdon that got hurt. This is the Chris Middleton of your team that just kind of went down for you. Like, who is going to be that guy that's going to be able to step in and give you 20 points? Like, now that all that pressure is really on guys like Rodney Hood, who can who can be you know a really good scorer for you, and that pressure is starting to go to guys like Seth Curry because now you got to give the Blazers a little more than nine points at this point if CJ is going to be out for an extended period of time. I say if if it's man, it sucks because you can't, you don't want to if it's not that bad you can't really rest them because you could not fall out of playoff favor, but you can you can lose your 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 footing really really easy with a couple bad losses because you don't have somebody that's going to be able to step in and give you that additional 23 points that CJ gives you every night. Like, that's that's a big, big – you know, the one thing the Blazers are not is super, super deep. And so – and if you, you have guys like – well, I mean, I mean, you do, but you have guys like – kind of deep you, right now. But not at the guard spot, but not at the spot to where you can say, man, go out there and make a play for me. Like, who, who – what which guys do you have like that? You to say, Seth, go out there and just 
Seth, you got Seth and, and Rodney. Rodney Hood are the two that you got right now. And now that pressure is on them. Between those two guys, they got to be able to come up with 23 points it's a game. Seth, in, in a three-week span in Dallas before he got hurt, Seth, Seth was averaging good. over 20 points. This is a guy that can uh, come in and at the very least for a small period of time kind of fill those CJ shoes because the number one thing he brings to this team, obviously, is scoring, and that is – that is the specialty of Seth. So I think the spotlight is on him to see if he can come in and fill those shoes for a couple weeks. It's just, but I mean, Rashad is right. It's going to be really, really difficult to replace that. And again, we don't know what, what the MRI shows yet. We have not seen the report. We're all knocking on wood to make sure it's nothing, you know, yeah, I mean, you're hoping weekly, it's like you know? a bone bruise and he misses a couple games and is fine kind of thing. But uh, part of me, Feels like the Blazers have been incredibly lucky this year, injury-wise. Again, it's been a couple of years now. They have not had a massive injury. This this could be the downfall in a year where I think all of us finally thought maybe, and it's it's a little bit less to do with them and more to do with the West. The West is kind of wide open because the Warriors don't look as good as they as they were. I still think a lot of us will just say, well, yeah, the Warriors will win it all because of the talent that they have. But there's something going wrong there in Golden State. Nobody really trusts Denver in the two seed. The Rockets are playing great, but they're they they've gone through some bad stretches. The Thunder are good, but also lose games frequently to teams they shouldn't. I mean, it, it's it's a time that the Blazers could get that step up, but I'm afraid without CJ, that's not going to happen in the playoffs. No, it's just you're you're a different team without CJ McCollum. Like, and mind you, he, is he going to give you a lot of assists? Probably not. Is he going to you know overwhelm you with his rebounding? No, but the one thing CJ does well is he knows how to get to a spot and he knows how to get a shot off. And really, that's a gift because he's got one of the best mid-range games in the league, but also he's one of the, the deadly sharpshooters that you're going to find in the league. He's able to score from so many different ways shooting the ball. And now that you don't have that guy, at least, you know, for hopefully it's not an extended uh, period of time, I think that hurts. You know, I think I think that definitely, definitely hurts you because – there's not a lot of guys in the league, let alone in the Blazers, that are able to score the ball the way CJ is. But with the if this is a couple week thing, I could see this being a moment because Blazer fans so reactionary to being like to pointing at a guy like Seth. Maybe he he does have a a good couple weeks and being like, see, see, we got this guy. We don't need CJ anymore. We can use him as a trade piece and start like that movement going once again. Um, I'm still it, fine with that, by the way. Which I would be fine, too. It would be cool to see that, you know, Seth is a guy that can come in and at least be comparable to a guy like CJ. But but that that is what I'm anticipating with the reactionary um, moods of Blazer fan on, on most occasions. It's just, what bad timing for this, too. If this happened at the beginning of the season, like, okay, no problem, right. work you, it out. You survive Somebody that. will emerge as a new, you know, part of the team, but just... March. Although, although you could argue now, again, if we're going to go best case scenario here, and he only misses a couple weeks or something like that, you could argue that it's the best case scenario because the Blazers' closing schedule is not that difficult. So this this little mini three game road trip was fairly difficult. Clippers are in the playoffs playing well. Spurs are in the playoffs playing really well. Probably best in the West outside of the Rockets right now. And you know the the Pelicans give you issues. Granted, they sat literally everybody, so it wasn't that tough of a game in terms of just looking at it on paper. But and we've talked about this before. Their schedule going into the end of the year, 
It's not that bad. It's not that bad, but it's also not good. You got a lot of without CJ, quite possibly. You have a lot of sneaky teams that can do stuff. Indiana without Oladipo is still playing really good basketball this year. Um, Dallas, you know that should be a win, but you you you, you never know. Detroit, man, Blake Griffin still poses problems for whichever uh, Blazer big is trying to guard him. Brooklyn all of a sudden acts like they want to learn how to play basketball. You know at certain points. Denver is a team that can give you problems. You got them on on home and home. So, but you're skipping. I mean, they've got Atlanta. No, they've, they've got, got Atlanta. Cleveland. They've got Atlanta. They got guys. But again, without one of your best scorers, I man, Trey Young can go crazy on you. Like that's a problem. Like, you know, Chicago, you should be able to beat them. If you lose, to, if you lose a lot of these games or a few of these games, that's saying even more about your team or about where the Blazers are going into the playoffs. Because without CJ, like you notice a huge void there. So. Really, how they play against these teams that are supposed to be lesser talent is going to tell me way more about this team. I think this is a, a rhythm. At, uh, like my biggest concern is the rhythm. Like you, when you're heading into the playoffs, you want not only your team playing in a really good rhythm, you want all of your pieces, you know, playing at the highest level. What does this do for the rhythm of the team, and what's this going to do for CJ when he or if he comes back? Yeah, that's true. Because he had been getting really hot, and he had been. In one of his, point he games. had been one of in one of his really hot stretches where every game it felt like he really wasn't missing too many shots. You're right. It might hurt the rhythm, might hurt his shooting ability, but just get him back for the playoffs, I guess, right? I, I don't think you're falling out of the playoffs at this point. You might fall some seeds based on this injury, but and again, we don't know how long it's going to be. Still hope for the best, but you're not falling out of the playoffs. Just hope that he comes back and, and can give you what he was doing fairly quickly once the playoffs start. All right, we got a break. Coming up next, it's Hater Love It, but first, Jesse Esports. Weekend sports with a difference. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. All right, that music means it's time for Hate It or Love It. I think I won last week, right? You did. I think I did, yeah. Yeah, I had a good uh, second question. I remember I stole a lot of points. Um, all right, Jesse, are we going to do all NFL? You got some other stuff for us today? What, what do we got? Uh, you know, I got, I got stuff. I just got stuff you got today. Stuff. Uh, yeah, I um, uh, not actually a ton of NFL. I can I can do more NFL. If no, you no, like, no. I'm just curious because you like to go that way. I do. Uh, we have talked plenty of NFL today, so I mean, you got your fill. I I I'm okay with where where we're at. I, there there are definitely um things you know we can talk about, but I. I leave things on the list in case I want to come back to them later that um, that I've thought of and we didn't get to. So, uh, but uh, a couple things that went on this week that we didn't get into in the show that I think is kind of interesting. Um, one being the bearing of the hatchet between Damian Lillard and LaMarcus Aldridge. Oh yeah. Yeah, that happened. That was a good piece by Jason Quick in The Athletic. It really was. It was a, I, I really liked that interview he did on Primetime as well. It really was interesting getting that insight um, about LaMarcus and the way his high school um, teammates treated him. That really did give me, I think, a lot of insight into Why his mentality. Yes, because I've always said that, man, that is the softest NBA pro athlete I've ever seen. Well, Kevin Durant saying hi from across the room. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the hatchet was buried between the two. 
And the speculation has begun. Can these two converse together to become teammates once again? Love or hate? We will see Dame and the L Train on the same Blazers team again in the future. You know what? Why not? I'm going to say love because and it's look, this might not be the best marriage made out there because he might be old and slow and off the bench. But if he said that, why wouldn't you believe him? He has no reason to say that at this point if he doesn't want to come back to the Blazers. But I think I think LaMarcus Aldridge has seen the grass on the other side. And he has seen that although the Spurs are a good team, it is not always greener when you leave where you were. He's had issues there. He was unhappy there. He had to go through Greg Popovich talking him out of leaving. And I, I mean, to me, why, why not go back to Portland? If you loved it there, and it seems like he did. And if you realize that when you left that you're missing playing with Damian Lillard and you miss playing in Portland, which is a low-key city, and maybe you miss having the fans like you and Hell, maybe the fans don't like you when you come back. Although, give them enough years, maybe they will. They'll they'll change their mind. Why not make it happen? That'd be fun. A little short one, two year deal. Have them come off the bench for you. Be a, a veteran player who can score some points for you. Get some rebounds. I'm not sure he necessarily fits into the Blazers' offense at this point. If Terry Stotts is still as the coach, because he's a ball hog who takes a lot of mid range jumpers. But I think he'd come off the bench. He's a good player, so why not? Why not Lamarcus Aldridge come back? I love it. It's 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 pretty easy for me. Lamarcus is somebody who's uh, clearly, and it's just still what Mike said, man. He knows the grass isn't always greener. He got a chance to test free agency. He got a chance to go ahead and where he wanted to go and thought he might be able to win a championship. And he saw how hard it was. He saw how much the fans embraced him here and how much they embraced uh, the culture of the Blazers here. Not that the San Antonio doesn't have great fans, but it's a de definitely a, a different part of Texas. Here in the Northwest, man, LaMarcus, man, earned a following. And he was able to just be himself, which is kind of recluse and just, you know, you know, kind of a, almost the homebody, you know, of the group. Soft-spoken, and he just kind of wanted to be a part of the team. And then he figured out that, you know, like things are different over here and the, the expectation is different here. And I probably want to go back to where I where I fit in. Man, I'll look at somebody like Marcus Camby when he came here and he was still able to be that big man force shoot from the top of the key. And Mar Marcus obviously has much more of a range than uh, Camby did. So I can definitely see him coming back and being a part of this team. I think Portland fans will embrace him no problem. You will see so many LaMarcus Aldridge jerseys, bobbleheads, signs, welcome back. People will will quickly forget everything that you did, much like LeBron going back to Cleveland the first time. They wish they could have taken back those burned jerseys, but I think Portland fans will be 100% behind LaMarcus Aldridge coming back, even if he's on the back nine of his career. Nice. I I uh, also could see this happening very, very easily, just a, a swan song. Because he's only got, what, two years left in his San Antonio deal? Mm -hmm. He's already in his 30s. I could see him coming back for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, there's there's one place. It's nice being the only game in town here, being the Portland Trailblazers, you know. We'll say a lot of love. also has that, though. Yeah, that is true. Don't but, you dare I mean, say the AAF. <laughs> no, no. They just... It, <laughs> I knew it, it was it, coming. It's not just... No, it has nothing to do with the AF. It's the fact that Texas has so much in the forms of athletics where Oregon literally has, well, we got our college teams and then we got the Blazers. Yeah. And that's it. That's where it makes it so special here in Oregon is the Blazers are the game when it comes to pro athletics. Although uh, the Timbers, obviously, um, no. the MLS no. making more and more noise as being a pro franchise no, no. You know. different kind of fans it is both of those, yeah. it is all right moving on sorry uh antonio brown has um been quite the receiver in his career 
In fact, if we want to go back, um, he has an in yes one, two, three, four, five, six straight seasons with a hundred receptions or more. The last two or the last three have been 106, 101, 104 receptions. Love or hate, Antonio Brown will have a hundred or more receptions in his first year with the Raiders. Love. That's an easy one for me. Derek Carr likes to throw the ball downfield. And who else do they have right now at the wide receiver position? Not a whole lot. They let Jordy Nelson go, and frankly, they well, the Raiders stunk last year. They were not good. They didn't have a lot of talent on that team. Antonio Brown went to this team. He was given a huge contract because they're going to throw him the football because they realize his value and they realize how good of a player he is. And, I mean, we talked about this last week when the Antonio Brown trade happened. I mean, this was a steal for the Raiders, a third and a fifth? For a guy of that quality, you know they're going to use him, and you know that they're going to throw the ball to him. And I know Ben Roethlisberger is better than Derek Carr, but I think Derek Carr does get a little bit of a bad rap. Just remember a couple of years ago, the, the Raiders committed to him as their franchise quarterback for a long time with, well, at that point was the largest contract signed in the NFL by a quarterback well, ever, but by a quarterback too, because they trusted in him. And I, I don't think he's gotten as good of a rap because the team hasn't been good around him. He hasn't had a good offensive line. He hasn't had a good running game. And frankly, he hasn't had really had a good coach. So I think with, with more talent, we'll, we'll give him an ability to, to play better. And that means Antonio Brown will also get over that 100 catch threshold again. He's just that good, guys. Don't don't think he isn't just because of one bad year off the field. He's just that good. Um, Love. Uh, at this point, I'm trying to figure out who, like, who else you're going to throw the ball to. Um, Antonio Brown has big playability. He's one of the few guys that can beat you across the middle on a three-yard slant, but also take it to the house on, on a fade if you need him to. There's really nothing as a receiver that he can't do. And, and I'm trying to find, um, you know, some numbers, and I, my computer's kind of freezing right now, so doesn't really doesn't really work as well as I want it to. But uh, he's a dude that can definitely change a game for you. And I look at Derek Carr as a capable quarterback, again, who's gotten kind of a bad rap because the rest of the team has kind of gone down the drain. If you look at the Raiders, man, Derek Carr has never really been a, a big part of the issue. For a long time, it was Amari Cooper having drop seats, and he wasn't able to hang on to the ball. And then your defense really outside of Khalil Mack wasn't able to stop anybody, so it didn't matter how many points you put up because they weren't able to, to, to stop any of the bleeding. Uh, Antonio Brown's going to be somebody that comes in there and instantly takes the pressure off of the quarterback, the offensive line, and everyone else because you know, if nothing else, he's going to be able to to do his job. So 100 catches seems feasible for Antonio Brown. Just looking, by Tyrell Williams, uh, Western Oregon product, mm -hmm. he is their number two. Seth Roberts is their number three. J.J. Nelson is their number four. So you don't got a lot going on for you there. Williams is pretty good, but he's. I mean, it's going to be a lot of Antonio Brown. Uh, just so you guys and know. tight end is some guy named Lee Smith. <laughs> Um, uh, to get to the 104, you need 168 targets, 162 to get 101, 155 to get 106, and 195 to get to 136. So he does need volume, but like you guys said, there's nobody else there really to throw the ball to. So the volume is not going to be a problem. Very much should be there. Uh, all right. Finally, um, just so you know, Lynch has a one point lead moving into the third round. Um, we'll, we'll do a little bit of March Madness love here. Uh, the, the Oregon Ducks kind of messed up some bubble team action, whereas uh, by them getting in, a bubble team will not get in because I think everybody agrees they were not on the bubble. No. <laughs> so with that said, they're, they're knocking a bubble team out 
which I guess could technically be a Pac-12 team. Love or hate, the Pac-12 will get more than one team into the big dance. Yeah, I'm going to say love on this one. And uh, the Pac-12 is thanking their lucky stars that Oregon won the tournament. Or frankly, that anybody won the tournament and that Washington made the final. Because Washington making the final, I think, kept them in the NCAA tournament. And I think Oregon, obviously, whoever wins makes the makes the tournament automatically. Now, looking at bracketology, we talked about this earlier. They have Arizona State as one of the last four teams in. So they're playing in the playing games. I'm not 100% sure that's going to happen because, I mean, man, the Pac-12 was bad. And I know the committee is going to look at that and go, really, you're going to give three teams to this conference? But getting more than one, yes. Washington still deserves to be in. They had a very good season. Their offense is not great, but they're playing great defense uh, as they as they will under Mike Hopkins, who plays the Jim Beheim two three zone. But you're not gonna you're not gonna see just one team make it in. I'm looking at the bubble right now. Um, you might see Arizona State slip out. NC State right now is a first four out team. They they won a lot of good games this year in conference. Belmont, who has been a historically good team in the NCAA tournament, on the bubble because they did not win their conference tournament. Indiana, who's got some history on the bubble. Texas also there with Shaka Smart. I can see some of those teams passing in Arizona State, but you're going to get Washington, Oregon in for sure. I think that's that's going to be solid. You'll get both teams in. Will they do well? It's eh, a different question. Uh, I want to say love, but I don't know if, if I can all the way. Um, Arizona State had uh, a couple really good wins at the beginning of the season, of course, against number 15, Michigan State, and they eventually beat number one, uh, Kansas, at a point. So uh, maybe they look at that and say, well, maybe they deserve to be in because of it. Before losing to Princeton and Utah. But then, yeah, exactly. Then you, there, there's those <laughs> losses to Princeton and Utah, you know, that, that don't look awesome. Uh, Vanderbilt, you know, there's some teams in between there that probably shouldn't have beat you. So it would be hard for me to say Washington State, or excuse me, uh, Arizona State uh, should be there. Um, of course, you're going to get Washington in. They should have been the Pac-12 champion. At least they feel like they should have been the Pac-12 champion. Uh, them playing in the championship game is still going to mean a whole bunch for them. Uh, Oregon, obviously, an automatic bid for winning the Pac-12 championship. So it's really hard to say that they'll let in Arizona State, especially considering the Pac-12 wasn't very good. The Pac-12 wasn't very competitive. Uh, I think St. John's is where Where are they? What conference are they in now? Are they Big East. Uh, St. John's in the Big East, which I don't know when the last time the Big East has been great at, at basketball, probably, what, 10 years ago? No, they're really Big good East? now, dude. The, the Big, Big East, East has created a college basketball good conference. It really well, has. There you go. Much better than the, than the Pac-12, and I think that's the issue right now. They're going to look at conference and say, well, the Big East is clearly better than Pac-12, and they'll give them the, kind of the nod over that. So I could see just the two teams, that we, the ones that we expect. All right, let me tally this up here. Uh, this is a pretty close one today. Uh, by one point. Rashad Taylor. Rashad Taylor. Mike Lynch. Oh, you jerk. <laughs> you jerk, man. I actually thought I, – I, I wasn't sure you were giving me a lot of points in the college basketball one because you gave me some in the beginning, and then I was just talking about the bubble teams, and I felt like you were like, yeah, he's not talking about the point anymore. He's stalling, which I was, but <laughs> – Don't worry about it. Also, when you said I was up one and you were giving a college basketball question, in the back of my head I was like – Sorry, Rashad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you jerk, Jesse. Whatever. <laughs> you you just happen to, baseball. You just, you just happen to ask me about the one thing I've been paying attention to, which is Oregon basketball right now. So, <laughs> very good. All right. We'll come back with uh, one final segment here on Sports Sunday. On the
Weekends were made for sports. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. have a couple minutes left to go here on sports sunday mike rashad jesse with you remember Les Schwab tires podcast you can find the show if you missed it afterwards you can also find us on social media i'm at mike lynch 27 on twitter feel free to give me a follow rashad's at taylormade 503 jesse's at jesse osman a-s-z-m-a-n and the station is at 1080 the fan and the better you today text lines 55305 thank you for the text today appreciate it and I just wanted to throw this out there i was thinking about this when jesse brought up the marcus aldridge thing and if you are still on the fence about the athletic because it costs money, don't be. It's not that much money, first of all. But second of all, the content on the athletic is bar none the best I've ever seen from a sports writing entity. It is quality article after quality article after quality article. It has some of the best writers in the country. And I think it is 100% worth it if you enjoy consuming sports in that way, written in the written word. It is so good. So good. So 100%, I think you get, if you if you have not committed to that yet, it is it is quite, quite good. I love The Athletic. I mean, I, I kept seeing it pop up, and I was like, oh, what is that? But then I get to kind of reading some of the, some of the stories that are on there, really in-depth stories. Um, very good writing, like Lynch kind of said. So, you know, the more and more you, you look at, you know, Bleacher Report, which is one of my favorite, you know, sites to go through, um, really ESPN is becoming less and less uh, relevant to me. You yep. know what I mean? A lot a lot of times, you know, the, usually the same group of writers and things like that. But, you know, Bleacher Report and The Athletic kind of give you um, a different a different look at things. So when you, whether it's local uh, writers that you're looking for or more of a national story. I think they have a really great mix of both. So if you don't have it, I suggest getting it. And it's not that much money, but I understand why some people wouldn't. I'm not going to buy like the Pandora for because the right, commercial get, free stuff. I get it. Because why? You know, but, you know, if you if you really love to read, uh, you know, great articles about teams and players, coaches, GMs, whatever the case is, man, right. the athletic is like, awesome. like if you don't consume sports that way, then it's not worth it. But if you're a person who loved getting the Sports Illustrated magazine, which, by the way, you also paid for, or ESPN the magazine or whatever, then this is that just on an app and on a website. And it's if you pay, I think, for the full year, it's just like five bucks a month. So to me, it's worth it because of the, the quality you get. I mean, if you're a Blazer fan, you're missing out on the Jason Quick articles where he really dives in and goes into cool stories. Like he just spent one last week or two weeks ago talking about Scalabissier and his time growing up in Haiti and how he lived through that giant earthquake and actually saved his mom by like the wall fell on top. It was just cool stories that you don't really get to see much anymore because of the way that sports way media that we is consume, going. And the way that we consume news is much different. You know, yeah. if people want to know what's going on, the first thing they do is go to Facebook. They don't go to KATU or they don't go to any one of the, the, the news outlets here in town. They stop going to Facebook. They just know. They go to straight to Facebook to see if it's true. You know, so kind of sad, but yeah. Can, right. I, can I say one thing real quick before we leave? Yes. DK Metcalf was hurt six games into the season and was on track for a 1,000-yard season. Just saying. There you go in your face, Lynch. We don't have enough time. 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 Just saying. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week, same time, same bat channel, here on The Fan. Thank you so much. Omaha! 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 Omaha!
Just once for Pat! Arr. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.